Welcome to the International School Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Micton, and I'm here with host Dan Taylor. Hi, Dan. Hi, John. How's it going? Episode 101, is it? Are we, have we hit 100 yet? Uh, we are hitting 100 next week. So next this week. is going to be released after the 100th episode. This will be so 105 or something. then. It's somewhere there like that. Yeah, Fantastic. yeah. So we're, we're on a roll. As we promised, we keep going. So we're doing that. And Dan's now in a new house and everything, and life is good, right, Dan? Yeah, busy time. Moved house last week, so yeah, all, all good, all good. How Fantastic. are you, John? All good with you in Switzerland? Yeah, yeah. You know, we got summer now, and the summer's always nice. You know, people are a little more uh, laid back and happy, and the lake is beautiful, and so yeah. So today, Dan, what's interesting is, uh, you know, we talk about international schools, and you and I have talked to so many different international schools. You visit a lot of international schools around the world, big, small, and medium. But I think sometimes people forget that international schools come in all sizes. And there are international schools that are tiny, small, maybe 50, 60, 80, or even 100, and some not bigger than two, 300. And this is kind of an interesting dynamic because for school leaders and educators in those environments, it's very likely very different what the culture is and kind of the workflows and your responsibilities and how you build community. And we're very fortunate today. There is a group out of ECIS, a special interest group, called Small International Schools. And our guests, Jeremy and Jimena and Michael are here today to talk to us about uh, the idea of a small school. And we're gonna kind of unpack that together. But first I think uh, I would like them uh, to introduce themselves. And then Jeremy, if you can just give us a context, why do we need to create a group for small schools? Aren't you just a school? So Jimena, you wanna start with a little bio? Yes. Sure, my name is Jimena Zalva. I am currently at the International School of Belgrade. I am the primary principal. I am new, well, newish. I won't be able to say that next year in August, but I've been here for uh, this year. I started this year. Um, the primary school is currently at, uh, 200 students and we have 460 whole school. The interesting thing about our school is that this school uh, was a smaller school, was a school of 300. That's historically what this, the size of the school has been. And uh, in the past couple of years, it has grown 50% more. So we are currently at, at 460. And with that has, um, has come uh, an, an identity change from a 300 uh, school, you know, kids school to 460 and some of the growing pains that I might share with you later today. Great. Thank you, Jimena. Michael. Hi, everybody. Like Jimena, uh, I am also new this year. I'm at the International School of Krakow, and we are 330 students, our early years through uh, grade 12. And this is actually the smallest school that I've ever worked in. Uh, some of the divisions that I used to lead as a divisional leader have been bigger than the, the large school. And I think some of the things you, you hit on in the opening about uh, how you build community, how you establish systems and processes are are different. Um, so uh, th this is a new venture for me and uh, I'm excited about it and uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Thank you, Michael. Jeremy. 
Yeah, thank you. It's so nice to meet you, John and Dan. Um, I've been a fan of the podcast for a while, so I appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to speak and chat with you guys today. So um, I am the principal of Frankfurt International School's Wiesbaden campus. Um, FIS is, is, a, is a known school to have a, you know, it's a pretty large school. Um, on our main campus, we have uh, about 1,600 students. Um, I have a satellite campus about 45 minutes away from the main campus where I lead a school from uh, early years all the way up to grade eight. Um, and we fluctuate right around 200. So 198, 202, depending on, depending on the day and who's coming and going. Um, and uh, similar to Mike and Himena, I've always worked in, in larger schools. Um, and so this is only my second year in the position. Um, and it's interesting, you know, the three of us have connected because we've talked about this kind of this shock or this, this um, learning curve that we're on about what is this small school and, and, and how, do we, how do we work within it. And so that's how the three of us have been, become connected. Um, and interestingly enough, it was, it was last year, um, my first year I was starting in about October, I felt exhausted um, after defending us as a small school. You know, everyone would come, oh, you're the smaller campus. You know, we wanna be at the larger campus or, you know, lots of this conversation would come up and I was constantly feeling like I was defending, you know, and, 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 and uh, trying to compare ourselves to that. And it wasn't until I talked to Sarah Krupke from uh, ECIS and she had worked at a small school as well. Um, and uh, she said, Jeremy, you need to stop apologizing for being a small school. Um, she said, there's some sort of magic, there's some sort of power about a small school that we need to start talking about, that we need to start learning from one another and collaborating uh, with. And so last year, the seeds had kind of started to be uh, planted for this group coming together to talk about small schools. And really, you know, as us new folks have walked into these positions, we can't take the same structures and, and, and systems that we had in place in our older, larger schools and bring them down to the elementary or our smaller schools. You know, I, I've got teachers who wear two and three hats and when trying to put together a master schedule and make students, you know, experience really well-rounded, you come, you know, there's a lot of challenges to that. However, um, as I think the three of us and, and the other groups, uh, the other members of our group that have been starting to talk, there's a lot of magic in a small school. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think we're here to begin to change that narrative. And it's, you know, we're, we're, we're not, uh, we're not small, we're, we're mighty. And there's a lot that comes with being a small school. So um, I'm excited to, to be able to talk a little bit more about this today. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, Dan, you know, I'm just thinking about you and your own company. You worked for large corporations and then started a very, you're a small company. And do you, does that resonate a bit with you, this idea that the structures and systems that you had to implement for Absavent, which is really just a few people, were very yeah. different from your past experiences? Yeah, I mean, yeah, de definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, it probably... Um... Yeah, for sure. It's it's completely different. Like, like, I mean, I think the thing with schools, obviously, because you know, I work with a lot of different schools. Is small schools. Um, first of all, yeah, the systems and processes. But secondly, people wear a lot of hats. You know, it's that's I think that's a big difference, which I'm sure is one of the things we'll talk about. And it's the same with a company. You know, like you just have to do a lot of different things. I mean, if we say technology, which we're both interested in, like a small school often won't have a tech director. They'll have someone who's teaching and. Being a tech director will be it will be a, one of their side responsibilities, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, so maybe let's start off. You, know, you talked, uh, Jeremy, and I think Michael and Jimena both alluded to this. Is kind of you apologized for being a small school? Like, 
it was a bad thing or sorry, mm -hmm. we're not like the big guys. Why is there this perception that a small school maybe provides a watered down uh, experience for the parent and the students? And I'll let maybe each one of you answer. Jeremy, maybe you can kick off and then Michael and Jimena add to that. Yeah, you know, um, I, I can speak from my experience where, you know, when parents come here to FIS, they have a choice of picking a larger campus or the smaller campus. And I think when you go on the larger campus, I mean, it looks like a university and, and you know, what's available to the students is just, it, it looks outstanding. Um, and I think with having that big of a school, um, there's, there's often a, I'm gonna say a sense of competition within the school itself. And that in itself, I think gives parents the idea that, ah, it's really competitive. Um, and so, you know, it must be a really good school. And so but by competition, I mean, you know, if you wanna go out for the school play, um, you know, rather than having, you know, 10 kids on stage, you now have maybe 30 or 40 kids, but you have 100 kids waiting to get on stage. And so that, that competitive atmosphere, um, I think perpetuates this idea that that's, that's what's better. Um, and so, you know, I often find myself, you know, having interviews with families who are looking at both campuses and saying, yeah, you know, we, we, we don't have, you know, uh, you know, 10 sports that we offer throughout the school year, or, you know, unfortunately, we don't offer this one advanced math class, um, but we do offer, you know, and, and I would often talk about a more personalized approach, you know, mm -hmm. more individualized instruction. Um, but I was always, I was apologizing um, for not having those, uh, those features of a large school. Um, and the, the culture and the, the, the message has started to shift here. Um, because I think it's more and more we need to talk about what it is that small schools can do to offer uh, a truly amazing experience for kids. So I don't know if him and our Mike want to take it from there. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Just to build on, on that, um, I think uh, it's really a question of um, what are you striving for as a school? And I think there is that natural feeling like bigger is better. Uh, and I think you might have coined this term, Jeremy. Of, it's really about speaking about our schools in a way and the way we might shift the narrative is it's a boutique experience. And uh, like if you go to a boutique hotel, you know what that feels like. And if you go to a big chain hotel, you know what that feels like. And so it, I have a, a bit of a feeling that uh, these big schools, you kind of have that big hotel experience. And I think what we're trying to do with being intentionally small, that's a, another key word to this is what are we going to be intentional about? Mm -hmm. And what are we going to be intentional about not doing? Mm -hmm. um, because we can't do it all as a small school. And I think uh, if you are a small school, mm -hmm. it's important to define that. And if you define what you're intentionally ab about, then that's really your innovation. And that's what makes you unique mm -hmm. as a small school. So mm -hmm. I would say that, that that is something I certainly found when, when I came here mm -hmm. and um, trying to shift the narrative a little bit. And maybe instead of looking outward and what's next or where we're headed, it's maybe shifting it to look more inward and seeing and thinking about what do we have here that we can innovate around. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, I, from my, I just would like to add to some of the things that have been said. Um, I think it's very contextual. So currently I'm in Belgrade and there's no, there are no big schools in Belgrade. Actually, we probably are the bigger school in Belgrade. So there isn't that competition uh, so that in, 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 in parents are not, there's not competing. They're actually 
shopping around a bunch of boutiques, uh, which we still have to be very clear who we are and what we want to be or, or what, what, what is the experience that a child uh, gets when they get in our school. Uh, but I found I found that very interesting. I think if if I, if I was in the same school in Prague and I would have had the International School of Prague as the competition, I probably would have felt uh, different about the job and my job here in um, and what we do. But I think we, we are in a very great um, well in Belgrade right now that 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 competition is not, and so we can actually really focus on what we do best and, and who we want to be. Another thing that I found really interesting when I was reading some of the work from Stuart Grauer uh, on, on small schools um, is this perception that bigger schools are better. And where does that come from? And in part of his research, he says that it comes from our own experience going to schools. Uh, and what I mean by our own uh, is a very North American or a North American perspective of you know, high schools and, you know, there's uh, football games and the big hallways and all of that. And, and that was, that's good. That is what I strive, that that's, that's what I experienced. And therefore that's what I want my kids to experience. Uh, and as I was thinking about that, about my own self um, and why I don't feel apologetic at all working here and why I love it so much is because I actually never had that experience myself of being in a big high school. Actually, I started, uh, my high school experience started with 20 people, me and 20 other kids uh, in, a, in, a, in a room with a toilet next door and it, in a couple of teachers and I moved on. And the school, by the time I, you know, in uh, five years later, it was about 150. So this is some of the connections that I'm making with what you're saying. Uh, context, it's so contextual, contextual who you are and where you're at and with your past experiences and um, and, uh, and the research that this gentleman, Stuart Grauer, has done on, on small schools. Amanda, it's interesting that you talk about the, the big hallways, because Hollywood has done a great job of mm -hmm. turning American high schools yeah. into kind of that yeah. great experience. The Breakfast yeah. Club, yeah. Uh, 16 Candles, they're just, it goes on, American Graffiti. Yeah. So yeah. there is this aura, and that has been exported out uh, you know, to the world. And, you know, we know that many of us have never had that experience. I mean, in yeah. Switzerland, definitely that was not the case. Exactly. Uh, I don't know, Dan, uh, were your own experience going through school, did you go to small schools or does that resonate with your experience? And then going Yeah, to I went to both. I went to a, a village primary school, which had 50 kids in the whole school. Uh, mm. And that was actually, it's not there anymore, but um, it was interesting because like, for some subjects, I was like two in two years above, like with the kids who were two years older. Mm -hmm. And then we had like, I don't know how they did this, but sometimes they have two classes going on in the same classroom, like at each different ends of the room. And then I went to quite a big high school, but it's interesting because like my, my kids go to a small international school, which I, which I, I love, you know, and it's a real, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely a friendly family atmosphere. And that's mm -hmm. why we wanted them to go for their for elementary mm -hmm. school. But I've got friends who've, who, whose kids are older and went to the high school and said, they didn't they didn't like the high school because it was very it was very small group of people and when you're making friends if you don't get on with a few people you can't kind of get away from them which is why a lot of people i know send their kids from my kids school to international school of prague where, where you work for, for the secondary school i'm curious if you all think that's um that's something if there's an issue with elementary is some kids like being in a small school but elementary but don't like it in high school mm -hmm. is that something you've, you've come across or not really is that, 
I can speak for my kids. Oh, sorry, Jamie, you go. No, I was, I was gonna say, you know, I think what I've experienced here is, you're right, I think there is something to be said, and maybe Mike can speak about this, he has high schoolers in, in his program, yeah. um, but there is something to be said about kind of spreading your wings a little bit once you get up to those, mm -hmm. up those higher levels, um, and, and you kind of find your niche and need to connect with your people. Um, I think, though, when we're talking about, you know, elementary or, or middle school programs, um, one of the unique benefits that we have is that we can truly identify who the kids are. They can take risks. Um, they're not lost within yep. an environment. Um, and, and in a larger school, they are. And I think in, in many ways, we're helping to build confidence in kids in this smaller environment so that they can flourish in a larger environment later on. They're learning more about who they are. They're learning more. more they're, they're, they're taking a lot more risks, I think, in a smaller mm -hmm. school so that that upper school, if it's a larger school experience, is a little bit easier on them. But I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to hear from Mike. You know, what is it like with, with the high schoolers there? You know, I, I've been wondering that myself. And, and I think, Dan, there is some merit to that where, uh, you know, some of these students, as you know, kind of grow up together. Some of them, if they're local students, especially, you know, they were in diapers together and start yeah. out in kindergarten. We had a student uh, this year who has been at the school. We had 14 in our graduating class. Uh, he has been a student at the school since early years. So he has seen everything in the evolution of the school. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder what the tipping point is, though. I think it might be when you kind of make that switch into two sections from maybe when you go from a one section at each grade level to two, maybe that dissipates a little bit. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, building again on what Jeremy had mentioned, I think what I think we can do in these small schools, if we put the structures in place correctly, is to really develop student autonomy and student voice and have them be a part of, um, of leading the school. And I know PSI did some amazing work around this uh, this year with their NEASC reaccreditation process where they actually had student students work as co-facilitators in uh, their self-study. So that's just one example that I think can, can happen in one of these smaller schools. Definitely. Talk, because I think, Jimena, knowing both of your wonderful children, your children have experienced large and small mm -hmm. schools. And I, I can't believe that they're very likely already in high school. Am I right? Is Sophia? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so and yeah. they were in a big school in Prague, and now mm -hmm. they're in a smaller school. How has mm -hmm. that been for your own children? Yeah. I, I think... Um, so first of all, they have they have friends from um, all grades, so they're not stick with their grades. So they they, they are connections. It's mm. it's uh, as broad. So Mateo's like best friend is in grade eleven, and Mateo is in grade nine. My two kids actually get to hang out a lot, even though they're in different grades, because the group it's uh, you know so that's lovely to lovely to see. Um, uh, another experience that they have is that even though they might have less opportunities of choices what to do, but whenever they want to do something, they get in, they do it. I have spent a mint this year on all the travel because they wanted to do everything and they travel everywhere. So and it's, <laughs> uh, it's not as it's not as uh, as inexpensive to travel uh, from from Prague is less expensive than here. So anyway, so they get to do a lot. So they've been in a lot. Um, as well, and because the schools here in Belgrade are also also small, they get to actually do a lot of activities with other schools in here as well. So that that's another benefit that they've had. 
Um, so overall, I think the interesting that you're saying that, Jeremy, because I would say that at least one of my children, no, I'm not sure both of them, but one of them will feel, they, they feel safer. There's a feeling of, I feel safe here. This is a place I, I feel like I belong more I, in, in, because the connections that I can make with my peers and with the adults uh, around me um, are they, they, they could be stronger. Now, they, no, 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 both of them feel like that, but one of them does. One thing that Dan had alluded to earlier on, talking about his experience, you know, visiting other schools and looking at tech directors that might not exist in uh, a small international school and different roles. And Michael and Jimena both talked about come and Jeremy too. You all had worked in large schools, so the systems and the processes, and you know, you had a business manager. There were a lot of roles that kind of were very uh, well defined. Yeah. I imagine, uh, and I think Michael, you very like uh, Michael and Jeremy and Jimena, you very likely are doing a million different things that maybe in the past you wouldn't do. Maybe talk about that transition of the and Jeremy, you alluded to teachers having you know the scheduling issue and how teachers have three, four different roles. Maybe Jimena, talk it to us about that, and then we'll go loop around everybody. Okay, so maybe I'll give you an example of two things that happened today that are related to what you just said. Uh, so today... Um, I just say first live on International School Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like today, for example, we're trying to actually uh, improve our learning spaces. And one of the things we need to do is declutter the, the classrooms and so on. So I basically had to go to a, to a basement and begin to actually go through boxes and figure out what we're going to keep, what we're not going to keep, what's going to go. So that's been part of my job that I, in another school, I probably wouldn't know how I had to do. Uh, and, and it has, in this case, you know, there are not enough people on facilities to help with this or, or, or whatever. Uh, so that's one thing I did today. Another thing I did today is where uh, there's a number of talking about um, systems. There's a, a number of um, primary policies, let's just say, or guidelines that uh, we needed to review. And so maybe in the in other schools, I would have done it uh, by myself with, a, you know, with the other principal and then give it to the teachers and see what you think. In, in this case, I asked teachers to come and, and actually look through these policies, give feedback, talk about the policies and figure out what they think they need to, we need, how we need to adjust those policies. Because I think another thing around a small school it's um, a much more flooded organization. Uh, I think we all wear different hats and therefore that in itself makes the organization, the, the leadership of the organization much more flattered than, than other schools that I've been. Interesting. Michael? Yeah, similar to Jimena, it's funny you mentioned packing up boxing or boxes. We are uh, adding an addition to um, one of our buildings. We're adding a third floor. And we had to move some classrooms. So be right before this meeting, I was packing up some boxes and putting tape on boxes. Uh, but, you know, he, I can give you an example. It wasn't from today, but uh, it has to do with uh, people wearing many hats. And, for example, our, our business office. I have two people in the business office. And not only do they take care of all the finances, they take care of all the operations. So I'm sitting down with uh, our business manager. We're we're looking at our, our budget for, for the year, getting ready for a board meeting. And then of all of a sudden, his phone starts ringing. And we discover that it's the, the lead uh, security 
uh, guard who's calling because uh, one of the toilets was plugged. So we had to drop that conversation and we had to go uh, deal with the toilet that was plugged in, in one part of the school. So everybody wears many different hats and, and the, the processes of a school are all the same. Uh, the same processes that exist in a large school exist in a small school. And we just don't have the same number of people to deal with the same things. But the expectations are the same. So even though we're small, we're still expected to operate at the same level a large school might have uh, where they have many more people to support that process. Yeah. And that is a struggle yeah. uh, that, I, that I find. I'm curious, is there a definition of what, I mean, I know it's, there's obviously a lot of definitions, but what's generally considered a small school, like below what number of students? That has been the question. Um, <laughs> And so interesting, in a, in a couple of weeks, ECIS is hosting um, uh, a, a, an online kind of webinar or series with Stuart Grauer, who him and I has, has spoken about. Um, he uh, owns a school in California, um, and he's devoted his entire career to researching small schools. And if you go on his website, um, he's got the Small Schools Coalition. Um, mm -hmm. He's kind of correlated a, correlated a bunch of the research out there in small schools. Um, and he says, you know, what he's seen is a small school is usually between two or 300. Once you start getting over 300, pushing in the 400, you're losing the flavor of what a small school is. Mm -hmm. And I think you're starting to become a little bit more uh, departmentalized or compartmentalized when you're, when you're talking about, you know, resources and, and you're, you're, you're breaking down kind of those structures that are in place in a small school that make it feel like a small school. Um, sure. and so it's, it's interesting that um, Mike and I um, and, and him and I were in a session uh, just a couple of weeks ago at a round table and there was a director who was working with her board and they were kind of rattling, you know, wrestling with the idea of do we want to grow or do we want to intentionally stay small? And one of the things that she as a director is trying to convince her board is this feeling, this atmosphere, this environment that we're yeah. known for may get lost as we get bigger. And so we have to be okay with that, that shift and, and perhaps our, our mission and, and how we do things around schools may change a little bit. That's so interesting that you bring that up, uh, Jeremy, because I had the pleasure of working at the Western Academy of Beijing when it first opened up and it was a small uh, school, 100, you know, we, and there was this, what they called the WAB feeling. And then it moved to a new campus and it went to 1800. And there was always, you know, the old guard was like, we've lost the WAB feeling. And I was at an international school in Luxembourg and that school, many of the teachers that had been there many years, remember it when it was just 100, 200 in a small building. And then in 2000, they moved to a big campus. And there's this, and I think Jimena alluded it to, is that, you know, once you have that growth, you have a cohort that remembers that intimacy and that feeling of being close and that community. Mm -hmm. And then as you grow, you mm -hmm. want to keep that, but it's much harder. And I think, Jimena, you were talking about your school going up to 50% larger mm -hmm. and how that cultural identity is changing. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you are conscious of, all three of you, and really try to ensure that you don't grow too much? Or is mm -hmm. there financial pressure and saying, sorry, guys, we need bums on seats. We're going to get bigger. Jimena, you want to start with this experience that you're having now? Yes, that's a great question, um, and it's a question that it's on the table right now. 
is a question that our school board is um, trying to define. Part part of our, our facilities, just to be honest with you, and if we can move out of the facilities we have or not, uh, will determine that. Uh, there have been conversations uh, uh, to if we do we get to 500, 560. I don't know. I don't think the school will get bigger than that. Currently, in the facilities that we have, we cannot grow much more. Um, and so I think your question is, are we being intentional about our growth or, uh, or our, for us in our case, uh, our building is determining the growth and then the growth and then just we stick with what we've got. Um, so actually I don't have an answer to that question, but I think it's a very important question by which actually as a matter of fact, at my first board meeting here, that was the question that we, that was asked. Um, so that's where we're at. Interesting. Michael, how about you? Because yeah. you, do you also have the same dynamic of physical space limiting your growth or is it just market too? Yeah, I would say that there's a number of competing factors that may limit our growth uh, market. Uh, also our facilities and, and maybe our, our footprint, uh, how much land we have. So, you know, with those constraints, it, it has caused us to think a little bit differently about how, what our future, what our future is. Um, and I, I would say that that's maybe also a dynamic of a small school is it, there's this tension of uh, who you want to be and becoming, you know, trying to develop that identity. And that's what I'm excited about this group with ECIS, the Intentionally Small Group, because I'm kind of leaning into this conversation now, which I think will help inform you know, my leadership and, and what we do here, here at uh, ISK. Yeah. Uh, so it is, it's really refreshing for me to, to have some partners to, to talk about the exact type of things we're talking about right here. Jeremy, you have a different situation because you have the mothership or fathership, whatever you, the big FIS, which has a, a big campus, really great facilities, and it's a very well-known school. And then there's Wiesbaden, and most people, I would say, if you talk about FIS, they don't know that there's a satellite campus. And is there also an intentionality to keep that at a certain number? Because potentially, could you grow bigger? I will say that that um, that myth is growing, or not growing. That myth is going away. People are more and more are starting to you know pick up on who we are as a small school, which is really exciting to see. And I think part of it was you know with FIS. Um, I'm going to get my dates wrong, but about six or seven years ago, we were at about 300 and, and a little bit more. Um, and there was a corporation that pulled out of the local Wiesbaden area overnight and took close to 100 students um, out of our school. And the board, as I understand it, had to wrestle with, okay, what are we going to do? Are we, are we going to keep this campus going um, and keep it small? Or are we going to close it you know, and invest all of our efforts into the, the, the main campus? They made the decision at that time, and this is where that intentionality comes in. No, we're going to keep it and we're going to invest in it. And so I started last year kind of the end of all of that planning of investment where we have a new fine arts center, we have an outdoor education area, um, we've hired some you know, STEM, STEM coaches, outdoor learning teachers, just um, really kind of reinvesting in the small environment. Um, and so I'm, I'm lucky that I'm in a situation where, yes, you know, we do, you know, the, the, the vision right now is to keep our school small um, and <clears throat> offer parents that choice. You know, do you want, is your child better fit for the larger school or is the smaller campus something that's better for you? 
And it, it is a different experience. And so when I do talk to my colleagues across the world, you know, who are in small schools, as him and I said, it's all contextual, you know, um, and, and who you are and, and where you're at. I'm curious, Jeremy, do you have families who move between the schools? And if so, what, what, what are typical, um, what do you hear from them typically? Like they move from the large schools to the small, from vice gardens to the small school. Does that happen or vice versa? Yeah, I would say, you know, since the reinvestment in our campus, I think we're seeing a lot less. Um, there may have been, there were students who picked FISW and wanted to stay here for, for a long time. But then there was also families who couldn't get to, into FISO who were here for maybe a year and all of a sudden a spot opened up that gets a larger school. And so we had sure. a lot of students transferring over. That has changed. Um, this year out of, we had 19 families, I believe that were forced kind of transfer to, to our campus. Um, typically would have seen all of them go. 17 have chosen to stay here, oh, wow. um, which nice. is really exciting. And it's about some of the work that we're doing around small schools and really changing that narrative and, and highlighting what it is that the, the experienced children receive here um, that parents don't necessarily want to pass up. I think where, 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 we, where we kind of lose students is all of a sudden when we have families of three and four kids to enter the upper school, sure. they automatically have to go to FISO. So it just makes sense for the whole family to move over. But um, no, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot less transfers between campuses at this point. Interesting. That's a great sign. So one thing is you have to all go recruiting and you have to convince people to come to your small schools. And I'm just kind of creating a scenario here is that most educators are looking, they're on a professional journey. There definitely is certain schools that have bigger names, uh, more cachet maybe, but that might just be a reputation. A reputation and reality are two different things, as we all know. But do you find, and also often smaller schools, having worked in Africa, some of the schools are in really places that are more challenging to live, and maybe there's really, you know, not as many professional opportunities. In other words, there's not conferences that are easy to go to, etc. What is it that you have found, and you very likely all now have gone through a recruiting cycle because we're at the end, or you still might be uh, if you're in Europe, what are some of the pinch points that you were not expecting that you had to kind of recalibrate and say, okay, I need to rechange my sales pitch uh, because people are reacting this way. And Michael, if I can start with you, because you were at Shanghai American School, which I'm very familiar with, big school, huge reputation. Uh, I'm sure your line is always very long, be it virtual or real, when you have job openings. Maybe talk to about your experience now in a smaller school in a beautiful part of the world, but maybe not as known. Yeah, that, that's true. You know, I think one of the things that um, uh, I had to, that I discovered is that the people that were interested in coming to our school were actually very interested in a small school. And I, I even reflecting on my own experience, I had been at larger schools and I was kind of ready for that. And uh, I heard teachers say that, you know, I've been in this large school, but now I'm, I know I'm just ready for a, a smaller, more family-oriented environment is kind of the things that they were saying. But at the same time, having gone through it myself, I knew that that was a little naive in that, um, you know, they may be looking for that environment, but, uh, you know, a family's a family. <laughs> There's good and the bad. Yeah. And that's truly the experience here where, 
you know, flexibility is a life skill. You, you have to be flexible. You have to be really good with ambiguity. You have to be good with things not being all ironed out. Um, so that, that's where the challenge is, I think, for, for some people, um, where if, you, if you're not used to being flexible, you're not used to things not being totally clear. I mean, I'm speaking for our experience. Then, you know, you may want to think about uh, if a small school is, is right for you because um, we, we are creating. And even though ISK is going on their 30th year next year, we, we're still creating a lot of things um, in terms of uh, the processes and the procedures for the school. Thank you, Michael. Hey, now, how about yourself? Mm -hmm. You're cycle because you've had to recruit for is prod which of course mm. has a global reputation and mm. there are very, very long lines but you were in cambodia mm. uh you know Phnom Penh, another wonderful country but maybe not as popular as a destination <laughs> now belgrade which yeah. you know unfortunately most people don't realize what a great city it is mm. uh what are your thoughts about the recruitment yeah. cycle and what surprised you Yes, I will agree with everything that Michael said. Um, I also agree that um, the, the people that we hired this year are, are, are individuals that want to work in a small school, and they understand. Yeah, and for 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 the people that we hire, they actually have are coming from similar smaller school as well, and so they they would they would understand the the nuances of what it means to to work in a small school. Um, Frankly, um, when we were looking for people, uh, we were actually looking for very much the the profile of the of the individual that Michael is is alluding to, uh, with the idea of being flexible and agile and wanting to contribute uh, at, at, in levels that if you're in a bigger school, you don't actually either have the opportunities or you don't want to contribute to that level as well. One thing I did find different um, is that uh, the earlier you hire or you start, the better it is uh, than later. So in a school like Prague, it really at the end of the day, wasn't, it didn't matter as much if we hired in sometime in January, February, and sometimes in March. But here, we needed to go as early as possible uh, in order to get the, the best people possible for our school. Another thing for me, frankly, is being very upfront with the challenges of that we are, we're facing. Every school faces challenges, but being very upfront with that was, was very important as well. Jeremy, you have the challenge that there's the big campus, FIS, in uh, Upper Ursel, and then they can come to your school. And when they're recruiting, I assume you recruit differently from the big school, or do you guys do it together and say, guess what, you're going to this campus? No, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. That's exactly what I was thinking. I think the, the challenge I'm up against is people want to come and work at FIS because they know of FIS. Mm -hmm. um, and so through the recruitment uh, process, I need to be certain that people understand what it means to work at FISW. Um, and I think what that means is I'm having conversations about you know, learning, first of all, what it is they do in their free time. Mm -hmm. how they, you know, how they create community for themselves. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the big challenges. You know, you go to a school and you work with 200 colleagues, you've got some immediate, you know, ends to some social circles. 
you come to a small school, that's not always the case. And so you have to be comfortable with making that, that social circle yourself. And so through the questioning, through checking references and, and really understanding who this person is, um, is so important. But here at FIS, no, we, we, um, we recruit as separate divisions, all kind of through the same processes, but um, sometimes we'll pitch a candidate back to one, you know, uh, another, you know, division if we see a better need uh, or a better fit for them. But um, no, it's, it's been an interesting process trying to, to, to find people who are the best fit for a campus like ours. That word agility came up and, you know, Agile, we had the pleasure of talking to John Miller, who uh, founded the Agile Classroom based on mm -hmm. Agile and Dan has done a lot of work in that area with Scrum and Agile and yeah, you know, with organizations. And, you know, Dan, maybe talk a bit about what you, you know, when you hear that about a teacher, what are you seeing? I'm just curious, because you have a lot of experience in the business world with that approach to working. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess, I mean, actually doing Agile and Scrum was a, lot, a long time ago in my career career, but uh, essentially it just means constantly iterating, short, short cycles of, of change and constant iterations. And I think... Um, you know, I think I see a lot of schools doing that now. I think it's even if even if they don't call it that kind of methodology, I think it's just a, it's replaced the old project management methodology, which is just a beginning point and an end point, where as as opposed to just continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, uh, no, it's, 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 it's interesting, Dan, that you know this idea of reiterating. Do you think then, in the context of a small school, it's easier to do? Because I have been in yeah, very large schools. I'm in a school with 4,800 students and 1,200 faculty. So, uh, you know, the processes and the roles are very, it's quite hierarchical, yeah. not out of choice. It's just the nature of the beast. And, sure. uh, you know, the agility is far different than, say, what you're saying. And do you think that is an advantage? Are you maybe much more capable to pivot and change than bigger schools that you worked in? Jimena, your experience? Yes, definitely. Um, and that is why I love, I love working in, in the school. Actually, I will say that would, would be one of my, aside from community and teachers and people, but the work that I do, that I, and it, it brings a lot of creativity um, and, and being okay with changing our minds and trying something new and then trying it again and so on. Um, so on the flip side, uh, you need to be mindful uh, of that constant change uh, because then you end up not having, because you still have to have some system and structures by which you work. And so it's this balance that you have to have between the two. Uh, and if you, you know, sometimes we get it right uh, and sometimes not so right, but uh, um, it's, it's quite enjoyable. I, I, I enjoy it a lot. Michael, you worked at Shanghai American, which also has thousands of students and uh, very likely about a thousand faculty over, and they're definitely very likely very systems processed. And yes. then you come to this little school and you were, uh, it, it, you were sharing that you're still creating. It's 30 years old, but you're still developing. How was that for you that maybe was used to a far more systematic, hierarchical system to suddenly come and be a leader in a school where creation is constant? Yeah, you know, somebody explained that to me where, you know, a school like SAS or one of these larger schools, and you probably have heard this term before too, you know, it's like a big warship out in the ocean. If you're going to turn and you're going to have to put that in place years ahead of time, if you want to make a turn to the right. And uh, 
you know, I naively thought that a small school would be like a speedboat. You know, if you wanted to turn it, you just make it turn really quickly and, and you're and you're off and going on to something new. But what I've discovered is that um, it isn't like a speedboat. It, it does because maybe not all the systems and the processes are in place for it to to work like a speedboat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's what I mean in terms of still developing some of those things. And I think it has to do with people not having a a lot of extra time and, uh, you know, people in dual roles. Uh, For example, our activities coordinator, he's also a Spanish teacher. And uh, it it is hard to do both of those things. And so sometimes, you know, just aligning schedules and getting people around the table um, can be difficult sometimes. Jeremy, you have the situation where you have uh, the mother campus, FIS and Oberursel, and then there's you. Do you, ha- do you feel that you have greater capacity for agility over a larger school that might need to have more ingrained systems just because of the, the organizational structure? Absolutely. And I think that actually that plays to our advantage. I think there's a sense of pride amongst our teachers where, you know, something comes in standards based grading, you know, in the upper school. You know, that's something that comes in. I have five core middle school teachers that, that have to buy into that. FISO has, you know, 120 teachers who need to buy into that and also work. And, and so, you know, we're able to quickly switch and our entire middle school is following a more standards-based approach with a lot more feedback to students, whereas it's a little bit more difficult in a larger organization to ensure that. And so I think with that comes a sense of pride in my staff where they're like, wow, we did it and we did it well and others are learning from our experience. And so... Um, although I, I, I agree with Mike, I think, um, you know, there, a lot has to go into the relationships around, uh, you know, kind of these systems and procedures and, and things that you're putting in place, but we can certainly be much more agile. And that's, that's what I love, um, is the, the sense of innovation that we, you know, constantly have going on here. But how about you all are wearing different hats? So Michael and Jimena were unpacking boxes. Michael, you unplugged the toilet, uh, you know. <laughs> How is it for your own well-being and your time and balance? Because in a big school, you might have uh, an office or a secretary or, you know, you have an HR team. Uh, You know, you very likely, if there's a problem and they want to go up the pecking order, you're the person that they come to. How is it for your own balance and trying to find downtime where you can just be on your own and not always be in mode of engaging with your community? especially with parents' events, if there's a theater event, a sporting event, uh, just kind of your thoughts. Jeremy, how about yourself? We'll start and go a different way. Well, I think this speaks a little bit, I mean, two things. Number one, it speaks to my, my type of leadership. I want to be as, as open and honest with people as possible, and I want them to have a life outside of school. And so I need to demonstrate that I have that as well. Um, and so as a leader, we've committed, you know, here at our school, you know, we don't send emails after five o'clock. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, impinge upon other people's, you know, livelihood outside of school. And so that was something that we intentionally put in place. And I follow that as well. And so I think that's part of, um, I do, although I do wear multiple hats and my days here are very, very intense. Um, I am able to go home and, and kind of decompress a little bit. And, and I, and I take pride in that, I think. Um, so I, that hasn't necessarily been a problem here for me. Um, and then also I think just being within the larger FIS umbrella, I think as a school, we do value health and wellness and well-being. 
Um, and even from the, the top, you know, Dr. Fochman, our director, you know, he, he does value that time and wants us to make sure that we're, we're away. So I think it's a little bit more of a, a mindset and organizational culture than it is specific to small schools. I don't know. Yeah. Michael? Yeah, I think uh, it is important to establish those working agreements, those norms of collaborations, how, collaboration, how you function as a, as a school. Uh, you know, it, I would say it is, that is a real part of the job. <laughs> I, I would say I, I, maybe I don't quite have that figured out yet in my first year. Uh, but I think, you know, there's a cultural influence here. Well, you know, I'm, I'm now in Poland. I used to be in Shanghai, China. It, it is a very different culture. Uh, so there is already some different systems in place. So I had very, I was very sensitive too coming in as a new leader, like not just to, mm. you know, transpose what I used to do or how I used to function onto this different environment. So I think you need to be sensitive to that as a leader and uh, not try to recreate and, and just make sure that you understand all of the, the factors in all aspects and, you know, the culture of the school. Um, because it does have its own and, um, to, you know, kind of take it from there. Yeah, actually, I'm going to add, answer the question with a, a different slant because I, I, I agree with has, what has been said. I Actually, for me, one of the greatest um, challenges, and I'm not using challenges in a negative way, but it was getting adjusted to the concept of time in a small school. My time, teacher's times. Um, because in, at the end of the day, we use time in the way our, uh, things we value, right? If we're a value-based school and I'm a value-based person, what I, how I use time, it does uh, reflect uh, on those values. And so I'm giving you an example today. I was unpacking boxes on cleaning out a space. And for me, I'm like, well, that is not how I should be using my time as a principal. You know, for example, I should actually be in a classroom or I should be coaching a teacher or I should be because at the end of the day, learning is the most important thing we do. Uh, but then so that has been a bit of a struggle with me, but, but I need to do this because it needs to be done because this classroom needs to be decluttered, whatever, whatever those reasons are. So this 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 challenge of how I use time based on what I think is valuable uh, for for who I am and what I do. Uh, has been something that I continue to, and it, it has to do with the different hats we wear, that I continue to to um, question, is this the best use of my time today uh, uh, for, for what I think I believe is best for the school and sometimes for me as well. But. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Dan, you visit a lot of schools and you see a lot of small schools and you alluded at the beginning of the IT director that's the PE teacher and also the grade three teacher at the same time. What have you seen? I mean, what have you noticed from that kind of lens when you interact with people in smaller schools, especially with the IT security and some of the IT issues that you know everybody engages with? I think that's a challenge for small schools is... IT and cybersecurity, because having someone of your caliber, John, a very high level tech director at a school means a lot of bases are covered. And I think um, that it is a challenge. I think, I think, I think probably most people who run small schools would agree. It doesn't mean you don't have good cybersecurity and you don't have good 
systems. But I think that's a, that I, I, I mean, I'd love to hear from the other people that, but I, I really think that that is a challenge of smaller schools is having, I see it at my children's school, for example, I'm constantly like the, the parent who's like saying, let's do this, let's do this. Why, why aren't we doing this? You know, and, uh, and they haven't been there very long, but it's like, um, I don't, I don't know, but I'm just one thing to go back to what Jeremy said. Um, it's interesting about the no emails after five o'clock, like, like that is a, a very, german specific thing it's interesting like um mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this podcast in asia now working 80 hour weeks going if only no emails after five o'clock you know <laughs> it's interesting because I've, I've spoken to a few german schools and often it's like there's, there's a workers council and the workers council often stipulates that you can't email i know um the german swiss school in hong kong they're not allowed to email um but the workers council has said that's it. No emails after four, I think four o'clock even in, in, in their case. But yeah, so that's just an interesting observation. That, that's yeah. a very general thing, you know. I, I do want to be, maybe I'm a naive as a, as a leader, but I do think a lot of it comes from the messages up top. Um, and I mm-hmm. think, you know, the leaders and organizations can set the tone and culture. And so here previously, you know, there was a lot, of, there was a big culture of working on the weekends, working, you know, at night, or, you know, you get an email on Sunday morning and you feel like you have to respond as a teacher, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I felt coming into this organization post-COVID, post a lot of change to the campus, a new leader coming in, the best way to really establish health and wellness and, and rebalance things is to come in with that message. And so um, I've been lucky enough that, that we've, we've stuck to that agreement as an organization, and I think um, it, it served us all well. Michael, you alluded to this, too, because you were at Shanghai American, which is, you know, a big school, uh, China, having lived in China. It's a very different work ethic, and it's kind of there is a speed and urgency to everything. Uh, And then you transition to Krakow, which is maybe a smaller community, and and also maybe the Polish (laughs) culture is very different. Not that people don't work, but maybe the kind of the energy might be different. Did you find that? a challenge for you because you came in with that energy and maybe that was what not you were finding in the school. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if it was so much uh, about the energy, but uh, you know, what I was going to say is, is that I think where some of this extra layer of stress comes from and we find us doing a, a lot of different extra things kind of might come from uh, uh Sometimes, and, and Jimena said, you know, our focus is on the learning, right? So we're, we're making sure that we're dealing with the, the structures that support that are have to do with the day to day learning and working with students. But I think sometimes what we neglect in a smaller school are those departments uh, that support the learning, like operations, like finance, like administrative staff. I mean, I can easily go to my board and ask them for another teacher if I justify it about the learning. But if I want to ask for an extra administrative assistant or, you know, somebody to support marketing or operations, that is going to take a a lot more convincing to do. So I think it comes out of that. Um, Interesting. Jimena, you're you're agreeing to that. Is that right? Very much. Yes, that's that's a I mean, uh, one of the growing pains that we had or having here is that we moved, you know, as, as I said, we moved 50 percent. Uh, we've grown 50 percent. And what, what I understand is that um, we, we do have the, the teaching staff to support the students. 
but uh, the auxiliary support staff has not grown. So st we still have, we actually have three people in the business office in uh, the facilities manager has like a handful of people to do the job. Therefore I had to do the boxes today. But so, uh, so that, that is something that, um, that I have found quite different and interesting coming to a small school. Fantastic. Well, listen, uh, Jeremy, Michael, and Jimena, thank you so much. I just think it's so rich of a conversation for people to understand. And Jeremy, you did a great job demystifying kind of the numbers and each one of you really sharing your journey and narrative, which is just uh, fantastic. Uh, and I really appreciate the way you've been so open about that. And I just want to encourage people, uh, Michael, Jeremy, and Jimena have been very generous and put uh, information on the show notes. So definitely reach out. And if you're a school, we have actually, our audience listened to a podcast with Dan and I about a small school in Eastern uh, Czech Republic. And while we were talking to him, he didn't realize of your organization. So we did promote your organization about a month ago in the past. So, uh, but it was really interesting to hear him and also how much this resonates with what you're saying. I just want to thank each one of you for your time and also your stories. And we look forward to keeping in touch and definitely looping back here in some time. Hopefully your schools don't triple and they keep that you know, <laughs> nice size. And uh, to all three of you, have a wonderful continuation of the thank summer you. and a good start to the new school year because that's just around the corner. Dan, any parting words or any thoughts? No, thanks guys. Really appreciate your time. You. Great, great chat. Really yeah, interesting. Thank you. thank you for having us. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody. And again, remind our audience, check out the show notes.